Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Eric Lucier, who is the co-founder of Let's Fix Construction and, and I love this title, Executor of Advancement at Precision Athletic Surfaces. Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You're laughing away. Can you explain that title for me? Well, sure. When you are part of a small business and I was employee one, heck, I anyone can be sales manager or marketing manager. I wanted to give myself a title that would look good on a business card. So <laughs> I just thought it up and I was like, yeah, this sounds something, uh, sounds like a, a good conversation starter. And look, it's already started a conversation right here. So yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm sales and marketing manager and jack of all trades, master of none for a very small business in uh, the Northeastern United States. Nice. Okay. What, what does it do, the business? We are primarily a manufacturer's representative and also a subcontractor and installer for indoor athletic and sports services. So we say gym flooring, but that's kind of changed into weight room flooring, rubber flooring, multi-purpose flooring, synthetic turf, places where people play games, play sports, stay healthy, physical fitness, and been doing it now, ventured into it accidentally in uh, 2006. And I'm in my 14th year of basically being a, a sport flooring guy up here in the Northeast US covering predominantly New England, New York, and New Jersey. Nice. Now, being a sports flooring guy, you get a bunch of free tickets or any perks? Oh, wouldn't that be nice, huh? <laughs> I think the only free perk I've gotten along the way is shortly after the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl a few seasons back, I was contacted about redoing their weight room floor. And we went to check it out. And at the end of our visit, got a couple of t-shirts and a hat and a thank you for coming down to basically do our job. And other than that, no, no, no free perks, unfortunately, along the way. I haven't quite hit them up for tickets as of yet, but I've been debating on it. I don't want to tell, I, I did tell them straight up. I'm a cowboy, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I'm not even an Eagles fan, so. <laughs> tell them after you get your bill paid, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eric, you have this uh, site, Let's Fix Construction. What's, what's that all about? Well, Let's Fix Construction was uh, founded by myself and my partner, Sharice uh, Lakeside, who is a, a specifier up actually up in your neck of the woods in uh, Portland, Oregon, is where she lives and, and works in actually Vancouver, Washington. It was started off as a blog site one day where we were really kvetching about the state of the construction industry over uh, social media messaging and complaining about how we do not really have a location or a site, if you will, to offer not just the, the complaints and the gripes about the system, but we thought more importantly, the solutions for some of these gripes. So it was a random conversation on a Monday afternoon in, in 2016, where we were talking about this. I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was 
a website where people could go to and, and offer their solutions. And I just banged away on it on a random afternoon and pulled up a couple of old blog posts that she and I had written in the past and put them up there and developed the website. And it really started off as a site posed for the entire construction industry for a place that people can go and, and pose their out-of-the-box solutions for some of the day-to-day issues and problems that we have in the construction industry. Everything from concrete moisture, which is something that I fight daily, to sealants and to the building envelope and construction specifications, which is something I'm very, very involved in. And it just kind of spiraled from there. And it, it all started around blog posts. We, we try to do something new every Tuesday. Sharice and myself and probably two to three dozen industry folk that either complete strangers or industry allies that have basically volunteered to write something for us. And we do all the legwork of, of posting it up and promoting it. And it's kind of spiraled into some other outlets from there, including some workshops and presentations and a podcast that we really dilly-dally in, I should say, because we it's been a little while since we recorded an episode. But it, it, yeah, it all spiraled from there from a a random founding, if you will, a couple of years ago. Nice. So you talked about some of the issues and and looking at solutions with those issues. What what issues are we talking about? Well, it's really anything that anyone is confronted in in their day-to-day job, whatever it may be in construction. And one of the things that we talk about when we get out there and do our workshops in out in the public, wherever it may be, is the fact that construction is an extremely broad title and broad occupation nowadays. I think one of the ways that we need to, we can get more people involved in construction is getting it by people that construction is not just Carhartt's hard hat and a hammer. And it is an extremely versatile and broad industry that is everything from, from that carpenter who is swinging the hammer all the way up through AI and technology and all of these other titles of, of architecture and engineering and, and project management and the builders and contractors and, and product suppliers like myself. And the idea is whatever you may touch in your day-to-day life, whether it's issues with construction documents, which is something that we have an issue with all the time when we review and, and bid projects, all the way up to application of a product in the field, the idea is chances are you've seen an industry ill and you have an idea how to get around that ill and to make it better so that you can perform your job better, but probably more importantly, that people in the future can do their jobs better and differently. And with the aging population that construction is seeing, we're watching rapid retirement right now. The idea is basically transfer of knowledge and getting experience and been there, done that out into the world before it's too late, before basically these folk retire and move on to outside of the industry. So it can be something very minuscule that can be posed to to an ASTM update, to a different way to install a product or apply a product warranty. So we, there's really no one easy fix or one easy issue we are tackling here. We are tackling a little bit of everything on Let's Fix Construction. And 
it, depending on the Tuesday you happen to tune in, it <laughs> could be about anything out there. We, I just put out a post actually this morning, since mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, on project submittals. Mm. Is that something that any product rep or subcontractor knows real well, general contractors knows real well? And what's not always known is the importance of submittals and why they are required. So it was a, a timely post because it's something that's always posed by newer individuals in the construction industry. Why do I need to put in these submittals? So just transfer of knowledge is, is a great way to think about how we're we're documenting a lot of this information that we're putting out there. Right. So if you had to, to name the top two or three things that really sort of you want solved or you want everyone to understand, what would be kind of those two or three things that, that stand out above, above everything in terms of things that either affect you or things you really want to drive home in the industry? Number one, without a doubt for me, is the importance of proper construction documents. Mm -hmm. And that not only is the construction drawings, which we all review quite a bit, but more importantly to me, it's the documented word. It's the specifications. Being a very active member in the Construction Specifications Institute, CSI, really were founded about 65 years ago based around proper documentation and formatting of construction documents of specifications. So that to me is really the number one thing that we put out there and submittals are part of it. The different divisions of the documents are are part of it. So that to me, we end up doing much of our posts, it seems like, based around the importance of proper construction documents and specifications. After that, it ends up being about the only other things that really come to mind right off the bat are one of them is is really is misconception about industry usage of, of products and how they kind of out they're out there. Someone's gonna think that there's one thing that they know about say gypsum board or what have you or paint application, but it's really about the proper application and proper installation. And that's one of the things we try to really nail home with this. We say with at least with our background in CSI is it's the way construction is supposed to be. So a lot of what we're putting out there is the way that it's supposed to be. But if someone was trained improperly in the past, mm-hmm. chances are that the person that they learned from was unfortunately trained improperly as well. So we want to make sure that proper information is being parlayed out there. And that's why we kind of rely on some of the industry professionals that we know that have been doing their job for a long time are documenting proper application and proper usage. Because as a product rep, we always say, I think what's more important than proper usage of some of my applications of, say, my flooring is Mm -hmm. where not to use the flooring. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the information out there that we want to convey is the idea is is proper application and proper usage. So that's a lot of what, what we try to convey in our message. So with that example that you just laid out, where does the point of improvement lie in? Like, is that from the manufacturer, the contractors? Like, what needs to be addressed there? I believe that it can be addressed by really everybody. Mm-hmm. We tend to work within our bubble mm-hmm. a lot of the times where it's just eyes down, me, 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 me. Part of the beauty of CSI is the equal seats at the table and whether you are a a product rep subcontractor like myself or the architect or the head general contractor, the idea within CSI is 
everybody has that equal seat. Well, that being said, there's really not one person that can improve on in our jobs and in our day-to-day life. It's really everybody that can always improve. So the idea that we've always done it this way, it's always been done properly by us, it's our bugaboo, really. And, and Sharice will say it over and over again as she hears, I've, we've always done it this way one more time. She wants to throw a pencil at somebody. But because that's the way a lot of, that a lot of people unfortunately work. Well, the way that our industry and, of course, the world is changing right now so rapidly, there is no tried and true way to do anything anymore. Things can always be streamlined, improved, processes, procedures, what have you. So and the, the general idea is it's there's not one person or one role that anything that we really write about or talk about on Let's Fix Construction applies to. It, it, it's everybody. You can take uh, any even mi- minor task to a major task and improve it by just having an open mind, talking to other people, listening to what they have to say, and understanding probably more important what they're saying, and then looking at how you can perhaps apply it in your job and make what you do better and then also what your work, who your work touches, see how it can help them and, and make their job better perhaps. Because the building team is so vast, uh, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people on a pro- can touch a project nowadays and anybody's role can impact numerous, numerous parties. Makes sense. So you touched on innovations and and the pace of change. What sort of innovations that are out there that really get you excited? Me seeing where technology is going. I just had the opportunity to go to Anaheim to the AEC Next Technology Conference, which was partnered with SPAR 3D Mm -hmm. Technologies. And it was basically a technology conference through and through for construction. And to see, I mean, just to walk by the booths and see 3D usage of the model and mm-hmm. drone footage and things like that, it really, really excites me as to where the future of the industry is going. And I've been saying for the last five years now that I think that that's what's going to help get hopefully the younger professionals involved by seeing really, we're talking almost video games that mm-hmm. are being developed on the screen as part of the building model nowadays. And it's also going to think, I think, help involve the owner in a different realm as well. It's their concept that we're all building and bringing to light. Well, nowadays, it's much easier to take their, their foot, really their model and their idea and put on a set of glasses and really live and walk through the, their building before it's even built. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's taking construction, which was at one very 2D all architectural drawings, of course, CAD has made things at least much cleaner and what have you, but it's bringing to life the building and making it three-dimensional and pretty soon it's going to be four-dimensional and they'll be able to you know, seem like they're physically touching objects and things like that. And that, that's just a matter of time. So for me, you know, without a doubt, you know, technology is changing so incredibly fast, month to month, week to week, even day to day that watching where the industry is going over these next 10 years, not to mention, you know, even years, it's leaps and bounds how exponentially fast those leaps are. And so to me, it's the tech side of things is really what excites me most. Great. You touched on it earlier about uh, CSI and you're, you're involved in a pretty deep capacity. 
Can you explain more on that? Yeah, I we've been saying for years now that CSI is really the construction industry's best kept secret. Mm-hmm. 65 years old this year. And I think that one of the biggest issues that uh, affected CSI is oh, about 15 years ago, this television show was founded. And you may have heard of it. It's called CSI. <laughs> so we will go to, to trade shows or speak at other events and someone will see the logo and they'll go, oh, CSI, are you guys here to investigate a crime? And we'll be like, yes, we've got blood splatter up in 314. And people will think we're telling the truth. <laughs> so unfortunately, a rebranding that CSI a handful of years ago only involved the logo and not the name. It was founded as the Construction Specifications Institute, but it's really about their tagline that they put on a couple of years ago was building knowledge, improving project delivery. And that's really what CSI does. It's the project delivery, true life cycle from concept from the owner through the whole facility building and life cycle, really through demolition. And it's all parties of the industry started and founded by construction specifiers who are responsible for the the documents that we're bidding off of, but has really evolved over the years. And I accidentally really found out about CSI just over 10 years ago when I was doing really a sales call at an architectural office in Pittsburgh. And the architectural librarian said, grabbed my card and he said, you know, know, it would look better for me at least. He goes on on your card as if it said CSI on it. And I said, well, what's CSI? And even though I knew master format and the numbering system, I never really put two and two together and realized that that is one of CSI's products. And he explained it to me. And then I was invited out to a chapter meeting in Pittsburgh by, I call him my CSI sponsor. His name's Marty Thornton, and he now works for WTW Architects in Pittsburgh. But he invited me out to a project, to a program and to a meeting of, of the Pittsburgh chapter. And I sat in on the board meeting and got to meet some of the people. And it's it's all walks of life. It's, as I mentioned before, architects, engineers, and building product reps like myself. And the camaraderie was instantly recognized. It's kind of getting to know people behind the scenes with the tie loosened, having a beer. (laughs) I was living in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania at the time in Amish country. And I joined what was then the Allentown chapter of CSI. They're now the Greater Lehigh Valley chapter and started attending programs there. And it's funny, really uh, immediate friends, one of which just emailed me with, within the last 20 minutes about a product suggestion, but got involved on the local level. CSI's got 130 chapters across the United States, all sizes, everyone from here in Vermont, more 30 couple people to you know, Chicago's probably got 300. And it's a, a volunteer driven organization. We all volunteer our time. We're the only payment you have, if you will, is is what warms your heart at the end of the day. And it's, it's <laughs> a great outlet of um, of energy and passion that a lot of these people have in the industry to say that, you know, you don't need to know the member on the other side of the phone, but you can bring up the membership directory and call somebody in Alaska and say, hey, look, I'm a CSI member. I need some information on your unique product or your unique application. And uh, CSI members will tend to bend over backwards to help each other. But I got super involved in the Allentown chapter and was helped with their electronic communications and some of their marketing, got involved on the the director level 
And then from there, got involved in the their national trade show, CSI's national show, if you will, which is called Construct, and had a chance to start attending those. And my first one was in 2011. Actually, to step back, uh, the first one was actually local in Philadelphia in 2010. And I went to check it out, check out the trade show and what have you. And then 2011 was in Chicago, and it offers full three-day education offerings in addition to the show. And that was the first year I got involved in the uh, the education aspect of it. And it just kind of spiraled from there. I, I've, I've had a chance to go to the last eight national conferences. We've been to Chicago and then Phoenix and Nashville and Baltimore and St. Louis and Austin and Providence. And we were in Long Beach last year and we're going to be in National Harbor, Maryland this October. Coincidentally, registration just opened today at constructshow.com. And I've just got so involved and kept getting involved that the last three construct shows, I've actually been on the Education Advisory Council. Uh, Sharice and myself have both been on it with about 10 other individuals where we help program the national offerings. And what they really are are AIA learning units, if you will, but they're on all walks of construction life. You'll have everything from how to be a better product rep. And this year's got a product rep university track with six different sessions all the way through writing better specifications and how to properly insulate a building and things like that. And relocated up to Vermont, back home, I really should say I'm born and raised here in Vermont about uh, six years ago, right before my youngest daughter was born. And I got involved with the Vermont chapter. And I'm wrapping up my second term here as CSI Vermont's chapter president. And we've got a really great small board of tried and true industry professionals. Three architects, specifier, and myself are, are, are the current board. And uh, that's a lot of what makes CSI tick is this, the, the volunteers that are out there, project meetings, programs, and education to uh, special events such as region conferences, which my Northeast region just had one last weekend, to uh, a special uh, day-long expo that we partner with the Vermont AIA and offer a day-long worth of sessions and a product expo, and we just did uh, some pro bono design work through a charrette earlier this last month, I should say. So uh, CSI's involvement is extremely vast in the construction industry, offering education, certification, and continues to be the best kept secret 65 years in out there. So I encourage everybody to check it out. CSIresources.org is the website for uh, CSI. Awesome. Your enthusiasm for everything is very contagious. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that, that comes out a lot when Sharice and I speak for Let's Fix Construction. And that's one of the things that we, we're out there doing this for a reason. We have a passion for bettering the industry. And we've heard many times the people that come up to us and go, what you guys are doing is amazing, but your passion can be felt through and through. And that is something that that warms the heart more than anything to know that our message is being conveyed and that they feel what we feel what we're trying to do out there. Awesome. Now you, you're juggling a bunch of different things. Now, what are your top three habits or routines to, to keep us all organized and moving forward successfully? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I thought about this a little bit when you teased me as to what you'd be asking. And I'm a little all over the place, which is my thing. I'm very much can be a shiny rock individual, which is one of the reasons why I've attained the nickname Squirrel from Sharice, namely, but some also some other friends. 
I tend to go wherever my attention goes. But what I try to do to move myself forward and the industry forward, I wrote these down because I kind of wanted to remember these and these at least helped me because I may not do this, the same method all the time, but I try to be timely on everything I do, whether that's when I approach an architect to talk to them about application of a product to my response of an inquiry in regards to usage of a product or, or whatever it may be. I try to be as thorough and accurate as I can. And if anything, it can be sometimes a little bit of a detriment to me. I try to attain perfection in what I deliver to folk. So sometimes I need to know that 90% is enough and I try to remind myself of that. But whether it's packing up for two days on the road or it's uh, preparing an email response to somebody, I try to be as researched and prepared as possible because even though I'm only going out to measure a couple of jobs, I never know if I'm going to be receive a cold call and need a sample of a, some trivial material that I rarely work with. But I, I always try to have that with me and have it prepared. So try to be prepared and, and accurate and ready at all times. And the last thing that I go into it with is I try to be as honest and forthright as possible in all things that I do. People don't know this until after they're done working with us. But what I always say is when it comes to like, at least in the day job and installing a floor, substrate and subfloor conditions are as important, if not more important than the application of our finished floor. And what's frustrating is the condition of that substrate and subfloor is usually not up to par and (laughs) we need to correct it. And at the end of the day, I, I try to tell people that, look, we do not recommend anything that is not absolutely required to make the finished product uh, optimum. And we can install on a subpar substrate, but it's going to reflect in, in the new floor and they're not going to like what they see. And even though it's not our responsibility that the substrate was poured in, improperly or somebody spilled something on it or took a gouge out of it, we know that it's going to show through in the work that we do. So we go over and above to make sure that conditions are 100% because it's going to reflect through in the new product. And so to tell people, you may not know us and know me from anything if it's the first time we've worked with them, but we never, ever recommend anything that is not absolutely necessary. And I try to be as, as honest and forthright and transparent from start to finish to make sure that, you know, if someone works with us a second time around, third time around, that they know that if we make a recommendation, it's because it's necessary. And it's not because we're trying to pad our pockets with uh, additional money. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Those are very good habits. And uh, definitely I can relate to you on the surface prep, us being a coding company. It's like, you just have to keep saying it over and over on the surface, right? The magic can't happen, right? If you have a, a poorly prepared surface or a soft floor. So. It's incredible. And it's not, unfortunately, I should say, it's not getting better. And we, not that we're looking to ever pass the blame, but we're like, look, you know, you're not going to blame the painter because the drywall was hung improperly. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to blame the flooring guy when, or if the concrete was poured improperly? So mm-hmm. ultimately, we always want the building to go up you know, beautiful and properly. 
and what we interface with is is numerous in nature. So you kind of adapt to the industry and know that unfortunately we do need to be experts on concrete moisture. We do need to be experts on tolerances when it comes to concrete, and that's something that we impact come into contact with day to day. So I know more about tables and chairs and things that I've never had to sell in a a million years because I need to know how what someone puts on my floor impacts Mm -hmm. my floor. So we we touch a lot of different things and need to be well-versed in all sorts of product and information and how they change. That's a daily update as well as you don't really need to keep up with how the construction industry is changing and products that I work with are changing, but how things we interface with are changing daily. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Now there's something that you're involved in that I'm extremely curious about, which is I know you're big into sports and I think baseball cards. Is that correct? (laughs) I have reintroduced myself to baseball cards, but I consider myself a humongous sports fan, which I just got lucky that I kind of work in the sports industry, so to speak. And I have reintroduced myself to baseball cards because it was something that I really enjoyed back in the mid 80s to early 90s. And I have, say, reintroduced myself because I have a son who is just past eight years old. He's on his uh, third season playing baseball, and I'm actually an assistant coach for the second year. And I figured what better way to kind of bind us together and keep him interested in a sport that I love by showing him the hobby and what it is. And it has changed so incredibly much over the last 20 years. It's not even funny, but I've really, really enjoyed kind of getting back involved and seeing some of the products that are out there. And he he's where I was 25 years ago, plus, you know, 30 years ago, really, in that just like opening cards and and seeing seeing the design and finding out what you're gonna get. It's uh it's a little bit more like gambling nowadays because <laughs> high price some of the products. But there are some beautiful, beautiful cards being produced out there and and there is that chance that yeah, you may spend seven dollars on a pack of cards, if not more nowadays, but you're opening something that's worth tens of thousands of dollars to somebody and there's a little bit of that thrill in the chase. But uh, I've really enjoyed kind of getting back involved with the hobby. And I've always kind of kept my, some memorabilia from over the years from growing up. And I'm, I'm kind of a hoarder and a collector on some things. And I've, I've really enjoyed kind of digging back through that and the memories that it brings about, and kind of showing him some of the stuff I've kept over the years. So I'm interested in seeing kind of where this goes as he grows and matures and hopefully sticks to sticks to the game. He's having a really great season. We've actually got a game tonight and I really like watching the talk about passion and, and fun and whatnot. Watching a bunch of seven and eight year olds play baseball is there are worse ways to spend a weekday evening, I must say, because they are so much fun to be around. That's awesome. I think I saw it a tweet regarding your baseball and your, I guess, the cards. Something about the top guys making like fifty and a hundred million dollars. Is that the case? Is in the the hobby collectors Card, themselves? Hobby, yeah. yeah. There, there was some, one of the authenticators. Is what yeah. it was. There's actually a an interesting, almost call it fraud, going around right now. Where the big thing that's kind of changed in the industry the last twenty years is grading. 
and it's authentication of memorabilia and cards. And there's basically two big names out there that are authenticating these. And it's a big, big money business. I mean, you can talk about it being anywhere from twenty to a hundred dollars a piece for each piece that they're authenticating, and they're doing tens of thousands of pieces. So it's wow. become a, a big, big business by these authenticators. And right now, there's basically a guy that's been busted, so to speak, trimming cards where he's literally cutting off the edges to make them look in better condition and sending them into the authenticators. And the authenticators are greenlighting them and giving them really, really good grades. And yeah, <laughs> these authenticators are making millions of dollars from uh, from collectors like myself to grade pieces because it basically makes the, the piece, whatever it may be, whether it's an autographed baseball or a picture to a, to a baseball card that you just opened out of the pack, it's making the values go up 200 to 500% because it's being proved true and accurate really is what it is. And they have grading numbers from, from one to 10, but there are baseball cards out there that were once almost worthless maybe or, or relatively low in value that are worth tens and if not hundreds of thousands of dollars because of who the player turned into Tom Brady on the Patriots and, and Mike Trout on the angels are two perfect examples where they came in with a little hoopla and have now Brady's going down as the, as the goat, as they say <laughs> in football and Mike Trout's 27 years old and on trajectory to basically break all sorts of career records. And he's only seven years into his career. So wow. it's the, the, the hobby industry is definitely a little bit of gambling involved. There's a lot of prospecting involved, but there's a lot of money involved in changing hands from, from hobbyists to authenticators to card shop owners to, to card manufacturers. I mean, they're producing so many different sets right now. It's, that's probably my biggest gripe in the industry is what was once four sets a year is yeah. now about eight sets a month, if not more, amongst <laughs> the manufacturers. So there's always something new to buy, and they're pricey. There's no doubt about it. They're very, very expensive. How uh, anytime my son is with me when we go to a card show, the collectors love seeing them around because there's not a lot of young kids. I mean, we used to get involved when a pack was a quarter or thirty-five cents. Now, if you can get a pack for four dollars, it's cheap. And you're <laughs> talking about a, some boxes of cards that are a hundred and fifty dollars and more, and there can only be five cards in the whole box. So $30 a card and you don't know what you're getting. So it's, uh, yeah. it, it's not for someone to dapple in anymore. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Because yeah, I mean, it's just lots of interesting things, lots of interesting businesses and, and how everyone approaches different things. But is there anything that I should have asked you but didn't? We've covered a tremendous lot in a short period of time, including talking about my baseball card hobby, which I never <laughs> suspected to do. <laughs> I would say, I guess the one thing is is perhaps my number one concern in the construction industry nowadays. And if you were to ask me that, it's, and everyone's talking about it, so we might as well, is the future of the skilled trades. Mm -hmm. And namely, who's going to be doing it? We've got, you know, the millennials are right now. Generation Z is not far behind and they are the majority in the workforce. And they've kind of not been involved or introduced in the construction industry like myself and some of the older generation were. And we have a lot of people retiring over the next 10 years, a tremendous amount of people retiring over the next 10 years. 
and who's going to be stepping up to take over those roles. And it's, it's not just the, the hammer swinger carpenter, but it's product reps like myself. It's the architecture profession may never quite be lacking because that will always be a, an industry that is recognized, but it's some of these cursory occupations where that need to be filled. These subcontractors are going to be a huge one. People that are out there applying your products and installing my products, who's going to be doing yeah. a lot of that work? And that is the number one concern that I have because at this point, I'm not going anywhere. I'm in the construction industry. Mm-hmm. I'm still relatively young-ish and I don't have the financial feasibility to retire anytime between now and say ever. So I'm doing this and, and there's a lot of people that are going to be doing this. But you know, as these folk retire, who else are going to be stepping up and doing this in, in two years, in four years, in, in 10 years? And I feel that the number one way that we can at least go about and, and try to beef up the numbers in the industry is introducing the younger generation to construction and all of the vast opportunities that are available in it. And I don't know if that starts at the elementary school or younger or whose responsibility it ultimately is. But there, we always say in CSI, Sharice and I say this a lot, we as CSI members are guilty of not talking to people outside of the membership umbrella. I think construction is the same way. We don't do a good enough job of telling everybody that we meet what we do and what the opportunities are like within construction. So whomever you can talk to and however you can talk to them, do so. Because these next 10 years, they're only, unfortunately, our lack of skilled trades, in my opinion, are only going to get worse. It's not going to get better anytime soon. So we need to be really prepared for where the industry takes us. And that is my number one concern, without a doubt, is where the skilled workforce is going to be. And this goes outside of construction, but I see it even outside of the industry, outside of construction to many, many industries, wherever it may be. Entry-level jobs are going to be hard to fill because, especially if you go to college, you go to college and walk out with six figures in debt, think, oh, I can take this minimum wage job. No one can afford to live on minimum wage anymore. You can't afford rent on minimum wage anymore. So everybody's looking for these high paying positions. And those are, of course, filled by experienced individuals. So those entry level jobs are really only going to be filled by people's first time through. I know I keep saying this, my, my local bagel market is hiring at $15 an hour. <laughs> and my first job at 24 years ago was $4.15 an hour, whatever it was. And I remember having to work 40 hours a week to bring home $100. $100 doesn't get anywhere, anyone anywhere anymore. So a lot of these entry-level positions are going to be very, very hard to fill. And unfortunately, automation, even though it's going to be taking a lot of our jobs, cannot come up fast enough because I think we're going to be dealing with automated machines to serving our coffee in the morning to serving us french fries in the afternoon because we're going to need those capabilities to fulfill those positions. Yeah. So that's that's my number one concern when it comes to the construction industry. Makes sense. Eric, thank you so much. I definitely learned a lot and we'll do our best to help spread the message. Well, thank you very much for doing what you do. 
And I look forward to hearing what's on next on the podcast and, and seeing where you take this. Talking about the industry is the number one thing that we can all be doing. And I thank you for putting your message out there. Thank you. So I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify. And I also want to thank the listeners specifically that are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, please forward it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.